It's bad ink jam, but not as we know it. This is bad. Welcome to the Boogie Bashing Weekly Bashcast, brought to you by BoogieBashing.net. This is Big, looking at next week's opportunities and last week's profits. This is Bashcast episode number 124, a really futile and stupid gesture. It is 20 minutes to 4 on Thursday the 29th of November 2018. Coming up in tonight's Bashcast, could it be the new era of value? in William Hill shops, not just in horse racing on Saturday afternoons, but now with their daily over goals predictions. Look at hiding away value in a rugby anytime try scorer bet. Manipulating the lay to lose guarantees from bookmakers, is that a good idea? Is that a long term strategy? Mintbet close their doors to new customers. And we discuss edges on the roulette wheel in brick and mortar casinos. All that and more coming up in tonight's Bashcast. We finished um, November, the month of November. Um, £9,330.69 pence with a day and a half to go, and it is the Europa League tonight. And the way the value mugs have been going recently, there's no reason why that shouldn't go over five-figure month um, by the end of tomorrow night, although I'm not doing a lot tomorrow. I'm going to Leeds for a couple of drinky poos. So um, that leads us into the Christmas period. Last December was the only month in the last seven years where I've recorded a negative figure. So if I record a negative figure this December, we've had a nice little buffer zone from August through to November of decent profit to protect that. The Shit World Cup of 2018 is a long and distant memory. So they say it's always darkest before the dawn and this feels like the dawn an era of a new age of ev the suspicions were that there was a lot of equity being left on the table in william hill shops with their daily offers what were the size of the limits and the suspected ev in those bets the difficulty was coming up with a calculation or a set of models that could quickly and efficiently work out the ev there well uh boogie bashing hq i for one I like a battle, and this is a war. Now, we could fight them with conventional weapons, but that could take years and cost millions of lives. What the fuck happened to the Delta I used to know? Where's the spirit? Where's the guts? Huh? This could be the greatest night of our lives, but you're going to let it be the worst. Oh! We're afraid to go with you, Pluto. We might get in trouble. Well, just kiss my ass from now on. Not me. I'm not going to take this. Warmer, he's a dead man. Marmalade, dead. Niedermeyer, dead. Pluto's right. Psychotic. 
about it, but absolutely right. We gotta take these bastards. Now, we could fight them with conventional weapons. That could take years and cost millions of lives. No, no, no. No, in this case, I think we have to go all out. I think this situation absolutely requires a really futile and stupid gesture be done on somebody's part. We're just the guys to do it. Let's do it. Okay, let's do it. Saturday, the 24th of November, William Hill Shops. If you walked in there, available all day. Today's great sports offer, number two, over 115 goals in Saturday's English Premiership, English Championship, English League One, and English League Two matches was 13 to 2. It was actually 8 to 1 the night before, 9.0. Now, there were exactly 40 games across the Premiership, the Championship, League One and League Two. Um, historically, to calculate this is not easy. You may get a an exchange market up for the Premiership alone. Um, Sporting Index will sometimes tell you the set of games and give you a buy and sell, which really only tells you the evens line. And it doesn't help when William Hill are pushing out the uh, bet to you know thirteen to two, ten to one, twenty to one, whatever it is that they're pushing out. So what we needed was a way of one um, calculating the odds of different goals in a set of games, and two benchmarking that model. You see, anyone can make a calculation and estimate odds, but you you really need proof. The, your estimations and your calculations are correct. Now, one of the difficulties in this calculations is, let's say you want to consider goals up to, I don't know, eight goals in a game? Four, four, five, three, six, two? Could that be the upper limit? Um, if you want to do that, then you've got zero, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight goals in every game. So that's nine goals in every game. And this is a non-polynomial time hard problem this is if you take the set of games the number of games in here uh be it 10 20 40 and take that to the power of nine that's the number of permutations of different solutions that you have so if you just you know you can work out the probability of three goals in game one and four goals in games two and one goal in games three and you can add all of those up and you've got the probability of eight goals across those three games but as soon as you start adding more and more teams, that number of permutations becomes very difficult. So we had to come up with a solution to that difficulty without using Poisson distributions and things that really add too many assumptions into the model. And we came up with something, and it works really well. And we, re- we know it works really well because every time we're running it, we're benchmarking it against the spread betting sites and we're hitting the middle of their buy sell line on the money each time so that gives me confidence yes there are things that can be improved especially as we collect data but i've got confidence that this is coming up with accurate odds and so we 
worked out that over 115 goals in Saturday's English Premier League, English Championship, English League One, and English League Two matches was 6.4. A fair market price for that was 6.4. William Hill had boosted it to 8 to 1 the night before on Friday night, and that's insane. And even without 8 to 1, it was 13 to 2 the following day on the Saturday, and that's still as big a boost as you will see. If you want to take any of those headline Skybet or even the William Hill trebles, they're in that range of 110 to 120% equity. The difference is William Hill shops are allowing £500 bets to go through, uh, and there are William Hill shops everywhere, up and down the country. And um, you are, we, of, of course, you can get restricted in William Hill shops, but there are ways around that, and the, the, it's a lot easier to get around that. You know, to ask your Auntie Doris to walk into a shop with five hundred pounds cash, than it is um, to get around online restrictions. So that's why these bets are—they're exciting. So, of course, William Hill, they add in ambiguity to these bets, I think on purpose to deliberately confuse people. Why do we? Why do bookmakers and exchanges use over 2.5, over 3.5, over 4.5 as a nomenclature for goals? It's because it takes away the ambiguity of how many goals are in a game. Uh, over 2.5, you know you're not going to win if it's two goals. You are going to win if it's three goals because three's over 2.5, and guess what? Two isn't, Right? That sounds like I'm teaching my mother to suck eggs. Why would William Hill revert back to a system that inc- relies on an understanding of the word over? See, over two, I, I guess it does mean three, but a lot of people would think that two was included in over two. So they didn't need to, but they have. I don't know why. Anyway, we want 116 goals or more in the Premiership Championship. League One and League Two. By the time it came to the 530 games, we'd had 38 games and we had 108 goals. So we were left with eight goals to go. Tottenham Hotspur were playing Chelsea in the Premiership um, and Brentford were playing Middlesbrough in the Championship. I was listening to these games in the car on the, on the way into Birmingham City Centre for a 40th birthday party. Um, and I was in the back seat of the car with one of my pals who was also on this bet. So we were both invested in this 116 goal. We needed eight goals from Spurs, Chelsea and Brentford, Middlesbrough, which is a lot, by the way. That's a lot to ask for, for in two games. But, well, Super Spurs, Chelsea, 3-1. That's halfway there. We're now at 112 goals. We just need four more goals from Brentford versus Middlesbrough to clean up on that um, either 8-1 to one or 13-2, to two, either which way. It was a really decent bet. So, of course, Brentford-Millsborough is nil-nil at half-time, which doesn't help anyone. But then Millsborough scored in the 56th minute, 61st minute. And when Judge scored in the 75th minute for Brentford, we have had 115 goals across the English divisions on Saturday afternoon. And we now have 17 minutes to get the 116th goal and for these William Hill shop bets to come in. So, of course, we didn't get it and it finished up bang on the money. Bang on 115 goals, okay? Listen, I don't mind not winning these bets every now and again. The exciting thing... Cat, stop scratching at the door. Stop it. 
Stop it. Excuse me whilst I go let the cat in. Stop scratching at the bloody door. Thank you. Sorry. Cat's called Gabrielle because she's got one eye. Named after uh, Gabrielle, singer from the 1990s that only had one eye. Um, yeah, I don't mind the bed not coming in. It really doesn't matter, actually. I can handle the variance. Um, the exciting thing is that the value is there and it's there every day and it's kind of been missed, but now we've got all eyes on it. And I have full faith that if things just carry on like they have been doing, that we're going to see an increase, an uptake in the amount of value available to us in what are really exclusive bets. It's not like we're on these elsewhere or these or, or, or forms of these bets elsewhere. So they're completely exclusive. So that we're going to see value both in new bets and we're going to see an upturn in profits in the long run. So didn't come in on Saturday. What were we going to see on Sunday? Listen to this. Today's great spot sports offer 10, available until 1.30 in the afternoon on Sunday the 25th of November. All four teams to score and any two teams to win out of Bournemouth and Arsenal and Wolves-Huddersfield. Okay, so this is... Well, there's a couple. there was a couple of different ways of working this out. You could Dutch the correct score marker on the exchange, um, although that's difficulty... A little bit difficult because you're missing out on the any other wins where there's four or more goals for a particular team. Or you can have a look at dutching the match odds on both teams to score marker uh, and then just multiplying the two games together. Either way you work out, it's not that complicated. And actually, we have the tool on the tracker that would do it for you, at least for the individual games. This was up at 14 to 1. 14 to 1. That's 14, 1 4. To what, and a fair price for it would have been 8.9. It's going, to ha it's going to happen once every eight times. So we're getting a 157% equity bet there. Uh, for every pound that we put down on that, in the long run, we're going to get £157 back. It barely seems real. You know, again, I could understand it if the limits on this were £5 or... £10, but to be able to get sizable bets on something that is 14 to 1 and is going to come in once every seven or eight times. I mean, you could, if you were clever, you could have hedged this, even though we all know hedging is for gardeners. And if you were hedging it, you could have got a whack down on this. Bournemouth played Arsenal in the first game, and that finished 2-1 Arsenal, so that's ticked off the list. So now Wolves play Huddersfield in the evening game. Wolves were favourites for this. Huddersfield were about 4-1. to one. And when Moy scored in the sixth minute, it really did feel like... Well, at this point, we were odds-on. We were odds-on to win this 14-1 to one bet. And a lot of people had gone big on this. You see, when it comes to stake sizing for a bet like this, you don't consider the back bet because the back bet isn't um, reflective of the true probability of occurrence 
right? The lay bet or the fair market price. That's the true probability of occurrence. And that's what you should be basing your stake sizing off. And so ordinarily, if you're the kind of player that puts 20 quid on at 14 to 1, all of a sudden you could be putting 40 quid on when the lay price is like 8.9 or 35 quid or whatever the maths suggest. So that's a lot of fun because now we're playing for more money than we usually are. And again, as well, compound that with the fact that if if you're staking by Kelly, this is as big EV as you will see. You know, you just never see 157% EV bets. So this should be at the upper limit of what you would be staking. So you've got these two factors. That is at the upper limit of your staking graph. And also you're going by the probability of occurrence price, not the back price. So most people that were on this bet would have had the maximum on this bet that they would ever have seen in their betting in the last couple of years. So the amount of money to be won in this was significant. And all we needed was Wolves to score a couple of goals or when Huddersfield went 2-0 up, can Wolves get one goal for us? Well, Nuno Espirito Santo said Wolves' defeat by Huddersfield was one of their worst performances since he joined the club as head coach in May 2017. They didn't get on the scoreboard. They did have a free kick in the 93rd minute of two minutes of extra time that was added right on the edge of the area and so this goal from this free kick was worth so much for bookie bashers and was worth so little it was such a bad result for william hill it would have been nice it was one of those that it would have been nice that at least if it was a sweat do you remember i mentioned on my golf shield that i had a putt to win it on the 18th green which i've never had before in 20 years of playing the shield. And it would have been fun if the putt was a sweat because from the minute it left my putter, it obviously wasn't in. Well, it, that was the situation with this free kick. So William Hill got out of jail twice. They didn't on Tuesday for the Champions League. Um, Sorry, this well, there was bets on the Champions League, but it wasn't the Champions League on Tuesday. It was the Championship, League One, League Two, and National League matches was up at over 110 goals at 5-1. to one. And that was 6 to back, 4.3 to lay. Again, this is insane. 6, 4.3, what's going on? You don't see that. It's 140% EV, but big limits. The big limits is the part of the equation that is new here. Um, and on that one, well, there was a postponed game. This one got me thinking. So there's a bit of wind and rain and whatnot around on... Um, Monday and the Mansfield game. I forget who they were playing, but the Mansfield game got postponed. So, like, oh dear, D- didn't think about postponements with these because what happens with postponements? Someone got in touch with William Hill and asked them. And apparently, for every game that is postponed on the day of the game, a postponement counts for three goals. Now, considering there is on average two point three, two point four goals uh, in a match, depending on what league you're looking in. Getting three goals for a postponed game is really very decent indeed. That's good form by William Hill. That's the kind of gesture that we really should appreciate and not manipulate to the maximum to our advantage and our own profits. But of course, well, hypothetically, 
If it's the 14th of January, a cold and wintry Saturday afternoon, and William Hill have put up, I don't know, over 25 goals in these matches will be 10 to 1. And there's snow covering the country, and the games haven't been called off. They're due a pitch inspection. Well, you know a lot of those pitch inspections are going to result in postponements, and you're going to get three goals for each and every one of those games. And in the middle of winter... The uh, the expected total goals lines will be lower anyway. I mean, you always have fewer goals in inclement weather and you have more goals in sunny and windless weather. So to be getting on a plate three goals for every postponed game surely means that when there is a high risk of postponements, that any bet that is close to 100% equity that involves over goals in William Hill shops has got to be a decent proposition. And any bet that is over 100% equity is definitely a decent proposition. So, well, there's an edge there to be taken advantage of. 110 goals in tonight's English Championship, League 1, League 2 and National League matches. There were 109 goals and one postponement. The postponement was Mansfield. That meant we got three extra goals. We got 112. The 5-1 to one came in on Tuesday, made up for the weekend and more. Because that took us into Wednesday night. And on Wednesday night, there was over 45 goals in tonight's Champions League and English Championship matches, which was calculated at 5.5. Now, it was only about 5.4 fair market price, so hardly worth the wear and tear on the trainers to get down to the shop for that kind of expected value. But it did get boosted to 6 to 1. So all of a sudden it's 7, 5.4. And again, it's just, so the, the, the boost and the 75.4 is 130%. Again, insane limits, EV, amazing. The boosts are doing my head in a little bit because I like things that are predictable and have patterns to them. Um, so it'd be really nice if William Hill, say, boosted every day at 9 o'clock in the morning and then 12 and then 4. Because when they do boost early on, at least we know what they are and then we can go and get them. But... So far, I haven't seen any pattern of regularity. It just seemed that they'll just randomly boost a random offer at any time of the day. Doesn't help with my planning and preparation, William Hill. I may have to sell up the house and move next door to William Hill. I used to do that when I lived in the city. I used to live next door to William Hill. So... That was over, how many was it? I've just lost the page. Over 45 goals in the Champions League and the Championship. So what we need is we need the Championship to get off to a flyer for us. Let's have a look. Um, Aston Villa 5, Nottingham Forest 5. Ipswich Town 2, Bristol City 3. There you go. Off the bat, 15 goals. One third of the goals required in this bet just happened at Villa Park and at Ipswich Town thank you very much guys it's almost like you didn't need to look at, look at the rest of them and that one comes in as well so now we've hit a 6 to 1 we've hit a 5 to 1 we've very nearly hit a 14 to 1 if this continues it's going to be a very very happy Christmas we're not going to be as reliant on Harry Kane this Christmas as we were last Christmas that's for sure. So it's exciting times, and I definitely think it is the dawn of an era, a new era, 
of expected value and equity in William Hill shops. The 1515 at Ascot, again, Saturday afternoon, it's busy, 24th of November. The Gerard Bertrand Hurst Park Handicap Chase, two miles, zero furlongs, 167 yards, 13 runners, good to soft. Why William Hill? We're talking about William Hill again. After years of talking about Betfred and moaning other shops weren't competing and offering value, and they weren't, don't get me wrong, it's like they were not. Well, now it seems like there's a competitor on the horizon. We're talking about William Hill Shops again. 13 runners, they pushed out six places in the place market. Each way bets were going to pay for nearly half the field, you know? Six out of 13, that's decent, isn't it? A little bit worse than previous weeks, but still... You can't complain, not bad, when they're paying half the field. Uh, it, it is one to five odds, not one to four odds. Now that makes a difference. Why? Well, you're getting worse odds, obviously, at one to five. But there are fewer obs. And when there are fewer obs, that means that there are higher limits. It's just a fact. If, the, if bookmakers are getting smashed by arbors, then uh, prices are either not held or... Limits get slashed. So we had six places on these 13 horses. And my plan was to cover the field and not worry too much about it. So the plan was first cover the field. So I need to have a, a whipped up a spreadsheet. And someone actually asked, can, I, can they have the spreadsheet? And of course, I'm happy to share everything. It's just this was a mess. And I'm looking at it now and it still is a mess. It's like just got little notes everywhere because I literally... Just built this on Saturday morning for this. So if you've got the spreadsheet skills just to build it yourself, I recommend that. Because all you need to do is track what you're betting on and then add everything up to see where the gaps are. Um, but at some point, I will just neaten this up into a template and send it out. I did promise to have done that by today. It's amazing. I'm going to moan here about having a three-month-old, but it's amazing how much having a three-month-old means you promise people you will do things and they just get a little bit delayed. Anyway, so the plan was to cover as much as I can. The what start off? I mean, it's easy to start off. You just work out what's the highest expected value and bet on those, and then bet on the next highest, and then cover the field, and then start topping up and seeing where the gaps were. Now, I can imagine this being anxiety-inducing if. You are so attached to a risk-free mentality, hedging and laying. But when it comes to, you know, if you have some tolerance for risk, then it's quite easy because work out what the downside is and work out what the high side is. And if you can tolerate the downside and everything you've done generally is plus EV, even if a few negative EV things occur because when you're plugging the gaps you will be getting on a few negative EV horses but generally in these fields where they're paying six places and 13 out of 13 then it's going to be positive EV unless you're taking really really consistently bad prices but they would have to be horrible for it to be negative EV so you know the lowest win out of any of your horses is an easy min calculation on a spreadsheet if you do 
you know, small bracket range, comma, one, that will give you the smallest of that range, comma, two, the second smallest, comma, three, the third smallest. And with that equation, you can work out the lowest six places that would be paid. So the lowest win plus the lowest six places will equal your lowest payout and take away your stakes from that. And there you go. That's your downside. That's the lowest amount of profit that you can possibly attain. And similarly with the high side. Now, the average profit has, you know, if it's plus EV, should be positive. And it should always be kind of worth your time. And you should never have a downside that is lower than you are not comfortable with. Now, this is very much a balancing act. And I ha I like having every horse on a bar chart and seeing which horses are paying out the most and which horses are paying out the worst. And then just doing a hypothetical horse saying, you know, if I bet on him with this much, how much does that change my upside and my downside? And through that process, I'm just lowering the downside. Because of course, whilst there's a gap, whilst I'm only on 12 or 13 horses, the downside is significant because that 13th horse could win. So it's all about, first of all, covering the field, then get maybe covering it a second time, and then lowering that downside to an acceptable level. So my downside in this race was £728. That was the maximum I could have lost. The maximum I could have won was only £2,845. But the average I was going to win was about 800 quid. So that was the average. And... So if you were to plot all possible results of this horse race, the majority of results were going to be positive. And the majority of profits were going to be high and a lot higher than they could have been low. Like there was no downside where I was going to lose £1,000, but there were plenty of upsides where I was going to win £1,000. The perfect result for me was going to be Cade Doolan. Now that wasn't replicated with everybody, um, but I just happened to have a couple of bets on Cade Delan, uh, £150 each way at 20 to 1. And what was the other one? £100 at 20, at, um, 20 to 1. So £250 on Cade Delan at 20 to 1. She was the slightly unbalanced horse where she returned more than anybody else. So what were the results? Number one, Cade Delan. Ah, there we go. <laughs> Written by Sam Twiston Davis. What, uh, beat Sparrow Deck by one and a quarter lengths. Um, but the place horses were also kind of in the upper echelons of really good news. Sparrow Deck was good news. Maracuja was good news. San Benedetto and Ozzy the Oscar. Um, I think if you were to work out all permutations of this race, that finishing order with Champagne at Tara at number six would have been in the better... 2%. Like 98% of results wouldn't have been as good as that for me. But 49 bets placed and £2,559 profit. Bear in mind, the highest possible profit I could have made was 2845 So to have made 2559 It was good. There was definitely a downside that could have occurred, especially if the favourite had won, because the favourite was so very rarely value. Surname. Surname, or however you pronounce that. So it was lucky, but um, the average profit on this race was going to be positive. So, you know, it's all expected value. Um, the SPs on this, again, Spurgeon, I think, was it, that said this on the forum. The starting prices for this were all higher 
than what William Hill are offering during the day. And sort of, of course they are. That's the way it's going to work in this race, which is essentially a marketing tool. And if you could have any kind of decent estimation of what the SP was going to be, it would be, almost be better to go for SP, but I just find it very hard. And I don't like the thought that um, a horse is going to drift down from 20 to 1 down to 5 to 1, and I've got you know the same amount of money on him as the rest of the 20 to 1s. Okay, it's decent if he wins. But if it goes the other way, where I've only got a small amount of money at a 4 to 1 horse, and he drifts upwards, it's just, I don't know. Something could go seriously wrong doing this, betting at SP prices. Saying that, how much wrong, I don't know. But it's a fine balancing act, plugging the holes and getting an, on enough horses to get the lowest return down when you have um, sight of the prices. It'd be really difficult to do it if you were doing it at SP only. William Hill, not William Hill... I didn't mean uh, Betfair Sportsbook had Stocktail. This wasn't last week. This was the Saturday before. I just forgot to talk about it last week. Stocktail's anytime try scorer at 5-2, to 3.5. Not a boost price, not a promotional price. Standard price under the game, under the Ireland versus New Zealand game. Um, You go down to anytime try scorer. They've obviously priced it overnight and some smart money has come in and decided that... The true price of Stockdale scoring against the All Blacks is 2.88. So out and out, that's 122% up. Now, tell me, someone tell me, why do Betfair Sportsbook even allow ARBs on their sportsbook? So how difficult would it be to write a little program that would align sportsbook prices with the exchange prices and just cut the sportsbook when the exchange... I mean, there's a certain amount of manipulation that I guess that could happen that some people could come in and put fanciful prices up um, on the exchange. But if you're going to put fanciful prices up on the exchange to manipulate the sports book, then you're at the mercy of any bots that might be very sharp in the game and snipe you. So I don't know why they do it. It's ridiculous. And whilst that's 122% EV that'll just kill your account go and stick 200 quid on Stockdale anytime try scorer against the All Blacks at 5 to 2 and log into your Betfair sportsbook or paddy account the following day and see what your limits are they're not going to be great but again it's like a little carrot that's being dangled out there so what I decided on was that I could hide this. I mean, again, this is from the school of thought that if you're doing things that are hedgeable and you're able to lay them, then that's going to be damaging. You do things that can't be laid or are not hedgeable. At least that shows the desire that you're willing to be a little bit of a nitty-gritty gambler and you're giving something back. And if you're going to be a gambler, giving that gives a chance at bookmakers to make some money off you. Whereas if you're just arbing, there aren't, there is no chance. So what I did is that I stuck Stockdale into a anytime try scorer treble, because if I'm betting on anytime try scorers, that must be my speciality, along with Nowell to score for England against Japan and Liam Williams to score for Wales versus Tonga. Well, it was Wales 74, Tonga 24. So I didn't even need to look <laughs> at who got tries. But if interesting, Patchell, Davis, Hill, Morgan, Williams, other Williams, that is, Evans and Bigger all got tries other than Liam Williams, who got two in that game. So 
time. That was the easiest thing in the entire world. And against the All Blacks, Ireland beat them 16-9, and the only try of the game was scored by Stockdale. So this is amazing. Now, these bets on Williams and Nowell were sort of 90, 95% EV. So um, you take something that's 95% EV, multiply it by something else that's 95% EV, and multiply it by 122%, you're going to get 110% bet. And that's what I did. That's what I had. Decent limits on that. And all I needed was Nowell to score against the Japanese of all teams. And at half time, Japan 15, England 10. There were four tries in that game for care. Wilson, Cocker, Nasiga, and Hartley. Now was through in about the 77th minute, but got tackled and knocked the ball forward. So that was... i just mentioning that because it was just a strategy I had for betting on Stockdale when he was 3.5 to back 2.88 to lay on the same company, on the, set, on the exchange of the same company that was offering 3.5 to back. And I wanted to do it. But I wanted to hide it. And that was now nearly two weeks ago, like 12 days ago, and the limits on that account haven't changed. So either I've got away with it or the traders just haven't looked at it yet and come up with a trading decision to apply restrictions. We will see. Okay, guys, uh, that's enough to take us to the break. You're listening to The Bashcast, and it's brought to you by BookieBashing.net.
Welcome back to the Bashcast. That was Move Your Body by Marshall Jefferson, released 2002, courtesy of my friend Grace from CrossFit. This morning we did the workout Murphy, named after some guy called Murphy. It's one mile run, 100 pull-ups, 200 push-ups, 300 squats, and then a one mile run. That is a way to start your day, especially when it was blowing a gale force wind, as it was this morning. In the bookie bashing news, a brand new type of um, exploitation strategy has hit every match betting forum that I have seen. We're talking Odds Monkey, Profit Maximizer, Match Betting Forum, Profit Accumulator. So people are falling over about this. Um, uh, it is rinsing the bookies lay to lose guarantee. So you may 
have noticed that various bookmakers, from BetVictor to SkyBet to Betfair Sportsbook, have implemented lay-to-lose guarantees. And this is because they were taking a lot of flack over time that restrictions were unfair on many punters. And that flack was correct. Restrictions are unfair. However, the severity of the environment where everybody was getting restricted over everything lies at the feet of one set and one set of people only. And those are arbors. Um, People that are arbing horses on the exchange... um, We talk about them a lot. It's not a viable method. And because when too many people learn to arb, the distribution of profits gets skewed and weighted too much in favor of one group of people. And as much as lots of people moan and complain that they can't get money on, you can't simply allow one set of people to withdraw so much money from the industry. So restrictions got applied. And then, well, let me discuss this. We discussed this article in February, I think. And this was a parliamentary sitting talking about restrictions. And Bruce Millington, who is the Racing Post editor himself, talking about minimum bet rules, said, um, increasingly I'm hearing that this type of punter who may win a few thousand pounds a year is having their desired stakes cut back and that doesn't feel right. So what's the solution? The most popular one is the minimum liability guarantee that already operates in part of Australia. In parts of Australia, it would involve bookmakers guaranteeing to lay a horse, dog, football team or whatever to a stipulated amount with 500 pounds being commonly mooted. So, for example, if Lucky Boy is a 10 to 1 chance in the 2.30 at Haydock, and each book, each bookmaker would be obliged to lay an individual customer a bet of £50 at those odds. If that rule applied across the industry, a punter with accounts with a 10 bookmakers could place a total of £500 on Lucky Boy if they were all offering 10 to 1. It all sounds fine in theory, but one has to be aware that plenty of shrewd punters with a strong desire to get big bets on at best prices already have a number of accounts with the same bookmaker, often opened in the names of friends, relatives and neighbours. Um... Perhaps one day there will be a technical solution to ensuring one bet per person. But as things stand, I'm not sure whether a minimum liability rule would work for this sole reason. More sophisticated customer profiling might also restrict the number of restrictions. It's not unheard of, for example, for someone who is a winning racing punter to find a blanket approach to limiting their bets, meaning blah, 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 it's not important. Um, So Bruce lays the blame at people both arbing and arbing over a significant number of accounts. Now, I think um, all of us as advantage players probably recognize that you have to go through a learning curve. And that learning curve includes going through perhaps a period of arbing early on in your value betting career. And so if early on as an advantage player or a value better, you were arbing, learning the ropes, you would have faced restrictions on your accounts, which will still stand today. So um, it would um, be fastidious of me to suggest that multiple accounting um, is uh, an evil because it's 
it is an evil, but it's a necessary evil. What's probably bad is... It, well, no, what is definitely bad is taking that to the extreme and having 100 accounts and you're purely risk-free arbing. There is a difference, and I think some people see value betters closer to arbors, but they shouldn't, in my opinion, because they're not simply taking money out of the industry. Anyway, fast forward to December or late November 2018, and now we are starting to see some bookmakers do lay-to-lose guarantees. Um, and on Matched Betting Forum and Profit Maximizer and Accumulator and Monkey, this blog reads... Um, the same. It's a, you should be looking to take advantage of every worthwhile way of making money from the bookies. Matched betting is a tremendous way uh, of using their offers wisely. Consistent, risk-free profits can be picked up easily every month. Yet you might need some extra help. What if you're looking for new ways to win cash? Perhaps you've heard of the lay-to-lose guarantee. Uh, the lay-to-lose guarantee... You can win up to £500 in selected horse races. Um, bet first guy, bet, bet victor, known as the guaranteed bet market. Well, you can make money out of this, even though there are no offers, really. Um, and that is that you wait until the price collapses on the exchange. You have another screen open where Skybet or Betfest Sportsbook have the horse race up. And when it's, say, 7 to back and 6.4 to lay, then you orbit. You back it and you lay it off. And so, of course, you you hit that dreaded bet maximum button, um, which this time isn't going to restrict you. Well, it may restrict you in other markets, but it isn't going to restrict you on um, uh, lay-to-lose guarantees because, of course, it's a guarantee. And then you immediately orbit off, you know, probably with a maximum underlay unless you are of a serious risk profile where you don't risk anything ever uh, and then um that well that's it and this has become very popular because it's risk-free and i uh, i can't see the value in this if you've only got one set of accounts but if you're doing this and being naughty there is probably money to be made the headline here is make seven pounds per race well £7 times 10 accounts is quite nice, but it's not a good idea. It really isn't. It is um, It is short-term bollocks. It's short-term thinking. It's um, We've just got bookmakers in a position where they're showing a little bit more trust. They are offering something. And the argument that they always had against offering it is that people will team up and um, arb them to death uh, over multiple accounts. However, whilst they mooted that argument back in January, they are showing that they are willing to do this lay-to-lose guarantee. And if you just destroy them by arbing them to death as much as you can, then we're going to go back to those days of having restrictions and everything being weighted in the favour of the bookmaker so much more than the value better. How much are you going to make? Well, 
I don't think this is going to last a long time. Um, they're going to get hit because a lot of people see this as risk-free because there are tens of thousands of people on those forums. On, and um, the majority of them just are searching for that next risk-free opportunity. Um, their free bets died, their money back if seconds died and things off, things like that. So this is the next big risk-free opportunity and everyone's going to be jumping on this. And either the bookmakers are going to find a technical solution to never having arbitrage prices available where their prices change with the exchanges. Although we did say that that was open to manipulation if someone comes in and changes a price simply to force a bookmaker to change theirs. Or we're going to see heavier restrictions on non-lay-to-lose markets, which may affect people or may not affect people. But there's going to be something that stops the masses from simply withdrawing their arbing money from the strategy. But the most important thing, I think, is that if you are reliant on this, it is just arbing, it's not going to last forever, and it's certainly not worth a lot of money. It's pennies and not pounds. But if you are reliant on this, then you are one of the sheep and you are simply following along and clicking buttons and you are you have a particularly limited capacity to make money either now or in the future without a change of mindset. Um, you don't want to be one of the sheep. You want to be one of the wolves. You want to be at the front of the pack of the wolves as well. You see, we discussed at the beginning of this Bashcast the exploitation and value we are seeing at William Hill right now. How big do you think that would be if everybody on all of the match betting forums was aware of it? Firstly, you would have markets where you could lay them, and then everybody would be backing them and laying them, and then William Hill would be doing one of two things. They would either be slashing the limits that you can get on them or they would just consistently be making the odds a lot poorer probably both yet here we are and we're able to exploit it because this little area of the playground where we understand bankroll management variance and long-term equity means that we can go out and find these little bits of value and we can get much more expected profits in our pockets than anybody that focuses on the short-term manipulation of bookmakers later lose guarantee prices. So does it work? Yes. Is it worth it? If you're after beer money on the weekend for the next couple of years, yeah. If you want to make some money that's worthwhile living on, no. Doesn't matter if you've got 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 accounts. No, because you've got to think about what's good for everybody and not just good for you on one particular day. So those are my thoughts on this brand new how to arb strategy that is going around. What else is in the news? Duncan who, to be fair, is an accountant, 
But he was looking through the accounts of Bet365 the other day, like just the publicly available accounts, I would assume, unless he knows something I don't. Came across a couple of paragraphs in their their accounts, and they say the European General Data Protection Regulation, GDPR, entered into force in May 2018, which led to the group initiating an extensive GDPR project prior to its launch. The group, therefore, placed significant importance on this project to ensure that they are in the best position possible to achieve the highest levels of compliance. Okay, nothing new there. But then it goes on to say, following the repeal of the Professional and Amateur Sports Protection Act, PASPA, P-A-S-P-A, by the U.S. Supreme Court in May 2018, the group is currently exploring its options on a state-by-state basis to benefit from new regulations in the U.S. Further to this, and demonstrating our commitment to the U.S. market, the group is pleased to announce that on the 14th of November 2018, it has entered into a long-term commercial arrangement with Resorts World Catskills, the largest licensed commercial casino operator in the state of New York, including an investment of up to $50 million in Nasdaq listed Empire Resorts Inc. So, Bet365 are exploring their options in the United States of America. Um, which shouldn't be no a big surprise. William Hill um have already got a footing over there and have a joint venture with El Dorado Resorts and Ladbrooks forged a wide-ranging alliance with MGM. The last Vegas-based casino giant. I don't quite understand the pattern here of high street bookmakers having allegiances with brick-and-mortar casinos in the United States of America. I mean, brick-and-mortar casinos are generally the only place where you find sports books in America, so perhaps that's seen as a starting point for their exploration of that market. But... Bet365's profits, historically, there was an interesting thing in their accounts where they you're meant to show the geographical distribution of your profits when you publish your accounts in the UK. And Bet365 argued that they weren't going to do that. And they said that it would have been a business-critical decision, that it was sensitive information and could have given an, a, an edge to one of their competitors. There is suspicion that the real reason that Bet365 don't publish the geographical distribution of their um, of their profits, the the demographic of their profits, is because the majority of it is in China and they are being a bit naughty offering sports betting to China. So by the by, I was struggling to get that word demographic. That's not the first time that I've struggled to get that. As a postgraduate student 20 years ago i was writing a report get this how exciting is this it was on the efficiency of the elderly bus pass usage in stratford upon avon because it was suspected that elderly passengers were not getting maximum value for money across certain bus routes And so, if you're still with me, I then was commissioned to write this 120-page report. Um, And I went home, and I was a student at the time, and over a few bottles of whiskey and some bifters, I would 
stay up late at night writing on the computer and occasionally I couldn't think of the phrase that I needed for the particular chapter and one chapter I wanted to talk about the demographic and I couldn't think of the word demographic so to stop against mind rot and brain freeze and continue the flow of typing away I just went star star old people and that fucking shit star star with the intention that at the end of the document I would then search for every time I used star star and hopefully with a clearer frame of mind I would be able to think of the word and at the end of the document I did search for star star found it changed it to the demographic of Stratford-upon-Avon um, and then proofread the whole document and on a Friday night 10 o'clock I'm ready to go to the pub I'm finally happy it's done and these days this was you know this was in a, an era early 2000s where people still expected hard copies over electronic copies so I wasn't to email it I printed it all out uh, laminated it final read through in the student living room and then sent six copies over to Stratford-upon-Avon kept one copy for myself went to the pub had a couple of drinks felt worse for wear the next morning but very proud that I'd finished this job it was a long few month project and so I just picked up one of the copies and flicked it open and on the second page in the table of contents, I had not updated the table of contents. I had not pressed right-click update on Word from the time before I had updated the title to demographics. So right there, page two, table of contents, chapter seven, old people and that fucking shit. And I'm staring at it. And it's not like I could reclaim an email. And it's not like... I could stop the post. They were already halfway there. I, I, I was running through various options where I could mission impossible break into the council offices in Stratford um, on Monday morning and steal these reports from the post. In the end, I just got onto the phone to the secretary in Stratford on the Monday morning and said, listen, I've just um, sent you these reports. And then swallowed, held my breath, and just got it over with them. If you turn to page two and just have a look down at chapter seven, you'll see that I've titled it Old People and That Fucking Shit. Could you please just take some tipex and tipex over that title? Uh, the t correct title for that chapter should, in fact, be The Demographics of Stratford-upon-Avon. Thank you very much, and if you've got any questions, please do get in touch. They never did get in touch and I never had any feedback from that report whatsoever anyway what I don't understand uh, about bet365 is that um, they could have offered sports betting in the US in the same manner that um, five dimes offer it and they've been offering it over in um, China but it certainly looks like they're going down the legitimate route and um, they are aligning themselves with a casino. Now, given that their app is infinitely better still than William Hill's, which drives me crazy, the amount of times that you lo I log into William Hill and then go to place a bet and it asks me that I need to log in before I place a bet, but I am logged in. And then sometimes you press log in, but because you're logged in, the options to log in isn't even there. And you're like, oh, I want to just take my money. And it should be the most simple thing in the entire world to have the enough investment from your you know 100 million pound company to get the it right on these bleeding apps 
Um, and I think that Bet365 are going to have a very good chance of su- succeeding in America because they have focused on the fact that people don't need graphics or funky promotions. They just need good value and a website that works. Um, so I can only see good things from that. What else is in the news? Are there any edges anywhere? Yeah. Tilted roulette wheels offer the opportunity for some advantage play in brick-and-mortar casinos. Now, our understanding of the physics behind the movement of a roulette wheel ball and the wheel itself is pretty solid. It's governed by Newton's laws of motion. As the ball slows, gravity takes hold and it falls into one of the numbered compartments. Um... And it is predictable when the ball will leave the rim. However, once it does, the route it takes to a numbered slot is less predictable. This is because the ball bounces around as it strikes various obstacles, usually a single, double or even treble pin roulette wheel that you will find every roulette wheel is different. Now, atmospheric conditions continually change and the wheel itself has features that encourage randomness such as the size of the frets between the numbers and the diamond shaped obstacles that intercept the ball as it falls down the wheel and this means that you cannot predict the exact number where the ball will land however a roulette wheel that is tilted in some fashion or that is worn and particularly old can exhibit signs that it is not pure, purely random. Of course, no roulette wheel is completely random, but the amount of randomness that a roulette wheel exhibits is not the same across all roulette wheels. If you happen to walk into a casino, and this won't be one of the major casinos on the strip of las vegas but it might be one of the older ones downtown or your local one um down the road in england and the roulette wheel that you see in front of you is old worn and the casino operators are using some sort of spirit level on that wheel that does mean that there are enough concerns that that wheel is not displaying true randomness that it may be possible to work out some sort of pattern based on where the ball is falling so what do you need to do next you need to be able to stand at the table probably placing two pound bets on red and black so that you're not totally obvious to the house and you need to be recording over that number of spins 20 minutes 40 minutes an hour the positions where the ball is falling and then you need to go away and plot those positions onto a representation of a roulette wheel and it may just be that there is no pattern and if there's no pattern after 20 minutes to an hour then there the pattern will not be identifiable. But it also may be that there are certain spots in the roulette wheel that are hot and are hotter than 
usual standard deviation would allow. And if you combine all those factors, that you have a roulette wheel that looks worn, you saw the spirit level, so you know the casino are concerned, and you see those hot areas on the visual representation of the data that you captured of that roulette wheel, that it may just be possible that you can gain an edge up to about 5 to 6% against the house. It's just all about being in the right place at the right time and knowing what you're looking for. Of course, the worst case scenario is you collect all of that data and then you go back the next day and they've just replaced the roulette wheel. But at least you've had some fun with a spreadsheet. What's coming up? Um, it is seven days of English Premier League and there's nothing wrong with that. We've got a Friday night game, Cardiff Wolves. Five games on Saturday. Game of the day will be Newcastle West Ham at three o'clock and three games on Sunday. But not only that, midweek next week, we have a full schedule. Well, we have nine out of 10 games. I'm not quite sure which team teams are playing. Everton play Newcastle on Wednesday night at 7.45. And all of that means that there is going to be plenty of opportunities for William Hill to put out completely mispriced offers. When they do, we'll be there to snipe them up. Whatever it is that you're betting on, do make sure it's one of those crazy William Hill prices. Best of luck in the gambling this weekend. This is Tom signing out. This is big. It's a cool fucking story. I've ever heard my entire life. It's insane. Can I hear it again? Do you have time?